This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Over the next uh, couple of weeks, Scott and I are actually going to be unpacking this new series called Christmas Stories. And I'm actually excited about this because as I've been tracking with this thought of the Christmas story itself, the first Christmas story, one of the things that we have been praying about and kind of journeying on has been, what's the story behind the story? What's the story within the story? Are there stories within the story that can speak to our lives and speak to our day today? One of the things that never ceases to amaze me about Christmas is, from a pastor's perspective, if you think about this, we have to speak on the same verses and the same theme every year. Right? So I actually went into this kind of theme or this kind of topic, and I went, God, I want to see something I've never seen before. I want to see something that, that I've never put together. I've never been able to see how you kind of connect the dots on that particular thing. And Scott and I were talking about a week and a half ago, and he was just like, oh, man, there's, there's so much in here. I never saw this before. And it's like, so we are definitely tracking with kind of just something new and something fresh. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're literally going to unwrap key thoughts or principles that are hidden within the first Christmas story. And today I'm going to talk to you about a very simple thought, a very simple theme, but I think it's very profoundly hidden within a very key story in the Christmas story. And I'm going to talk this morning about incredible trust. How many know that in the day and age that we live in, trust is a difficult thing to earn? Trust is a very difficult thing to process relationally in the day and age age that we live in. I think we'd all agree with that. How many have ever been burned in relationship? How many have ever had someone let you down? Come on, hands up. How many have ever had someone let you down? How many are lying right now? Put up your hand. All right. Okay, good. All right, we're good. So I want you to know that this message is going to touch every single person here this morning because if we're all being honest, we all have trust issues. We never want to admit it, but we all have trust issues. Some of us more than others, some of us less than others, but we all have trust issues. Charles Spurgeon, great theologian, said this, we cannot always trace God's hand, but we can always trust God's heart. I think part of the trust journey with God that's different than any human trust journey is that we know we're supposed to trust God. Right? Because... If we're being a good Christian, we are supposed to trust God. But the reality is, is in many times in our lives, the circumstances are much louder to us than the promise of God. I want to say this morning, you're not alone. It's the same for me. It's the same for you. There's nothing different between me and you on this particular issue. Trusting God takes a lot. But I believe that we're going to go on a journey this morning to see something, hopefully, that, that will help you, that will, that will uh, help you in this journey called trust. The word trust, it literally means this. A firm belief and assured reliance in the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Okay? So in this principle that I'm going to talk about today called incredible trust, I'm going to look at the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. It's their story. It obviously leads to John, their son. But I'm going to talk mostly about them. Um, and hidden within their story are five tests 
of trust. Five tests that every single human being on the planet will go through in the process of trusting someone in your life. They're there. They never go away. So five tests that always appear on this journey called trust. I just want to pray this morning before I jump into these five tests. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to express this clearly. I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to get out of the way so that the only thing that people hear today is your heart and is your voice. I pray this morning, Lord God, that we would have the courage, Lord, to come before you and be honest and say, yeah, this is me. I'm struggling with this. Lord, knowing that when we can be courageous before you, you can empower us to do what we cannot do. Lord, that you can give us the grace to do what we cannot do. So, Father, we ask this morning that you would empower us, activate us, so that we can walk in trust, not only with you, but with others. Especially in this season, in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with the test of trust number one. And it is what I'm calling the test of truth. I want to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And we're going to kind of track down the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth this morning. And it says this, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Interestingly enough, um, he was not only born into the priesthood, he was, uh, even Elizabeth was from a priestly family. It says that, his name was Zacharias. He was of the division of Abijah. I'm going to explain that in a couple minutes. But his life was of the daughters. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. I want to start with a very simple thought this morning. That's not that deep, but it's significant. It's simply this: trust is only formed in the basis of true relationship. How many know if you don't have relationship, you don't trust somebody? If you have relationship, your trust is not only earned and is given, but it's it grows over time. Their core relationship with God was actually hidden in the very meaning of their names. Zacharias literally means God remembers. And we're going to go on in the story to realize that there was an issue here of what they believed was an unanswered prayer. And the fact that his name means God remembers is just nothing short of God saying, hello, I got you. I got your back. It's all good. We're going to be okay. I remember. I remember. Zacharias, every time... You look in your mirror, which they didn't really have one. But every time you looked in a mirror, you'll remember that I always remember my promise. And he comes from the division of Abijah, which literally means, that word means, my father is God. So there's an identity, there's a relationship, there's already a connection here. His identity was rooted in relationship with his father. And it gets really interesting. Elizabeth's name means, my God is my oath. God is going to follow through on the oath or the promise that he's given to her. And Aaron literally means exalted, that you're going to be exalted no matter what. The truth they lived was the truth of who they were in relationship with. That's got to always start there. Truth always starts with the who. Right? Not just the what. Too many of us live in culture today dealing and arguing over the what of truth. And what I, want to underst- what I want you to understand this morning is that truth begins with a who. It's Jesus Christ. He is truth personified. The truth they lived was the truth of who they walked with. I love this very next verse, verse 6. It says this, 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What was the foundation of their trust? Truth. They had to make up their minds who they were going to believe, right? Not just truth, but the truth that they would live by and the truth that they would live out. Truth we live by and truth that we live out becomes the foundation of trust in our life. So I want to say it to you like this. One of the first moments that happens in the process of trusting somebody is what truth are you going to believe about that person? Think about this. You can hear about somebody that you work with, that you're maybe uh, friends with, a neighbor of, and you could start to get to know them, and then you really, really like them, and then you hear another neighbor or another coworker say something about them that automatically puts a wedge in your thought pattern regarding trusting them. Now what do we do? Which truth do we trust? Which truth do we believe? What do we stand in? What becomes our center point? What becomes our anchor? Corey Ten Boom, I love this quote. It says this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Oh, I love it. We already know His attributes. We already know His character. We already know God's heart. And it's because of that that we can trust Him. The truth of His attributes causes us to trust Him. Why is it so important that truth comes first? Well, let's look at the next Verse, verse 7, it says, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. I love how you know, the author here, Luke, doesn't leave any detail out. Okay? He could have easily just said, well, she was barren. That would have made its point. They had no child. That's what barren means. <laughs> Why did they say both? Well, they were making a point. And then what was the, the, kind of that additive that was so key? that they were well advanced in years. How many know in this moment there's nothing that you can do to make that happen? Right? It's either going to be God or God. And you have to understand here that barrenness scripturally or in the Bible is significant. Barrenness in the Bible is significant. In Israel, barrenness was a woman's or a family's greatest misfortune. It's what their whole livelihood and their whole wealth and self-worth was built upon. Nothing else mattered. As a matter of fact, there was many uh, writings from Jewish rabbis back in those days that would actually insist that barrenness on a woman's life was the evidence of divine disfavor. So think about that thought that is infiltrating culture that day. And Elizabeth here, who was a godly woman but was barren, what do you think the thoughts would have been going out? The stuff that would have been spreading all over the place. Well, I know she's really godly, but... There must be something else hidden that we don't know about to cause this disfavor on their life. And then the stories start. Well, are we going to start with truth or are we going to start with misperceptions? Misunderstandings? The first test you will ever face in the process of trust is the test of truth. You can't get away from it. I do believe it's incredibly significant that in the Hebrew race, many women, including Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, were by nature sterile, yet God's divine intervention showed His particular favor on Israel at that moment. And I think He was about to do it again. That was His heart. So what was the test of trust? 
that they face? Could they trust the truth of God's character over their natural circumstance? Could they trust who God is above what God could do for them? Well, that's a, a struggle for some of us. Psalm 910, it says this, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Not those who believe you, but those who seek you. Those who chase after you. Truth is the foundation upon which trust is built. What, trust, or what truth you believe will open the door to greater trust one way or the other. Either trust or mistrust. Does that make sense? Test of trust number two. Are you ready for this? The test of responsibility. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The test of responsibility. I want you to catch a couple of things here. First of all, Zacharias was from the lineage of Aaron. He was a priest. We understand that. He was also from the priestly order of Aaron. And in those days, there was actually 24 categorizations or orders or sections of priests. And in each section was a thousand priests, approximately. Okay? And two weeks out of each calendar year, a couple of those priests would bandy together and actually serve unto the Lord in that time. So when a priest was drawn to burn incense in the altar, into the Holy of Holies, it was literally the greatest honor and the greatest day of his life. This is what he trained for. This is what he literally woke up in the morning hoping it, was be, it would be his day. This is the most special event that happened to him in his life and in his role as a priest. But there was always two other priests that would help with the function of that day. One would literally reverently remove the ashes from yesterday's sacrifice, and the second one would literally worshipfully place burning coals uh, on the altar. And then the moment that was done, Zacharias would enter the Holy of Holies. You have to understand the, kind of the, the location of the actual temple of God. There was the outer courts where everyone could come, the inner courts where only Jews could come, and then the Holy of Holies, where only a priest could come in once a year. This was his moment, okay? He was coming in to spread incense over the coals of the altar. Verse 10, just so you know what was going on outside. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. This was a beautiful, symbolic picture of worship before the Lord, okay? Verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You have to understand there's a very key phrase here. Your prayer is heard. The first thing that the angel wants to just settle right away is we heard you. We got you. We're good. We're tracking with where you're praying. How many years did they pray? How many years did they call out to God and seemingly nothing was answered or no answer came? How many times at night did they cry out to God for the very blessing that they longed for a child? And I'm going to guess that it took place for years and years and years. If they were advanced in years, as Luke uh, chapter 1 says... 
we know it was probably at least 50 years, maybe 40 years. But they were praying for a long time. How many nights did they cry out, but at the same time, every single step of the way, they lived out their responsibilities in the temple faithfully no matter what. Here's what I've learned in my life. That the test of trust in God often comes in this form of responsibility. Can we stick out what we know God has already asked us to do while not seeing what He's promised later on? Too many people give up on the process, isolate themselves, find a hole somewhere and just say, God, what's going on? I've been there, trust me. I have found the hole. I made the hole. I stayed in that hole for a number of years. I don't recommend it. Okay? But what God wants us to do is take that responsibility and follow it through because in that process, God is testing us to see if we trust Him. The test of responsibility always comes in the midst of unanswered prayer. It's just how God works. Don't ask me why. It's just how He works. That's how He does it. Okay? It's our responsibility to carry what God has promised us. It's God's responsibility to fulfill that promise. And in this case, Elizabeth literally carried the promise of God. And that's what he wants us to do as well. He didn't stop praying. He didn't stop believing. He didn't stop serving. He didn't stop doing what he knew he should do. And as a result, he passed, he passed the test of responsibility. The third test is what I'm going to call the test of utterance um, because many people were uttering many things in this day. Many people have an opinion. How many know that when you're struggling to find out the will of God for your life or you're struggling through the process of unanswered prayer, how many know that lots of people will have an opinion about your situation? Right. So one of the things that you've got to very strategically do is make sure that you limit the voices. Right? Limit those people who are uttering things that are not in alignment with the will and the, uh, the word of God in your life. Okay? I want to read starting at verse 14. It says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor uh, strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So I want to just make a note of a couple of things here. What did the angel actually say or declare or utter to Zacharias while in that Holy of Holies? Well, he uttered that he would be great in the eyes of God. He uttered that he would not drink wine or liquor. He uttered that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. That's pretty good. I like that. He uttered that he would turn many people back to God. I don't know about you, but if that's prophesied over your child, that's pretty exciting. Because that basically is declaring they're going to be a prophet. Sure, I like that. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. He also prophesied that he would be a forerunner, one who prepared the way for Christ. But I want you to think about this for a second. What didn't he say? What didn't he utter? Well, he didn't say that he would live like a wild man. Can you imagine that great prophecy? And, oh yeah, and he'll be a wild man. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yay. All right. He also said he didn't say that he would dress in rough animal clothes. He also didn't say that he would eat things found in the wild. He also didn't say that he would lack diplomacy and sensitivity to people and offend almost every single person he'd ever talked to. Didn't say that part either. He also didn't say that this child of yours would speak his mind with no filter. But yet that's who he was. He also didn't say that he would tell the king that he was in sin for marrying his sister-in-law. Didn't share that part about his wonderful life and ministry. And the last and the best part is he also didn't say, oh, by the way, yeah, he's going to lose his head. Literally. Like, he's going to be beheaded. Oh! Think about this. When God has an opportunity to answer the prayers that someone has prayed over and over and over and over again, think about what he does say and think about what he doesn't say. Too many of us as believers love to say all of the other list. And not the list that God often says. And we start to believe and trust in the wrong list. Think about this. Happens all the time. How do I know? I'm human. I can take a look at one amazing situation and I can think this most incredible view and, and be so ex excited and encouraged by this potential and then I can have three or four people say the complete opposite and which list do I believe? Then it reverts back to, did we pass the test of truth? What's the truth? What's the truth? What's the truth? What's the truth? Am I now being responsible to carry the truth that I know and live it out no matter if the answered prayer comes or not? Now I've got to discern through what is being said. But I need to use the first two as my anchor. What's the truth? What am I responsible to keep doing because I know it's the right thing to do? Now I have discernment with what I'm hearing. Now I know what God is saying. Does that make sense? So the test of utterance is in what is not said. The test of utterance is in what is not known. Can we trust God even though we don't know some of the other stuff? Verse 18 says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. I want to tell you the next level of this test. The test of utterance is also and often shown by which questions we choose to ask. And who the focal point is of the questions we ask. For Zacharias, the focal point was himself. When the question that should have been asked should have put the focal point on Jesus. Can we keep focus on the one who can answer our prayers? Verse 19 and 20, it says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So he just wanted to, I mean, he could have easily just said, I'm Gabriel, but he went one step further and says, yeah, I'm standing in the presence of God right now. How many have ever been caught saying something to somebody and then someone else overheard it? And then you change what you say? 
because you realize you just got caught saying something you don't want to admit that you said. So he just said right away, just so you know what you just said, yeah, the big man heard it too. And he's like, oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's this big news this week. I, don't, I'm, I love politics. I know it's probably sinful and wrong, but I, I love tracking with politics. And there was this big thing this week with the G20 down in Buenos Aires, and there was a hot mic that caught the French president speaking with the Saudi um, head. And now we all know what he said. And it wasn't nice. And the funniest thing is, is what it did is it created either this wealth of support for the French uh, president, Macron, and in some quarters it's created this hatred or this disdain for him. But think about this. He's standing before an angel, but the angel's basically saying, yeah, yeah, we just linked in. We're Skyping with God the Father right now. Yeah, it's FaceTime in the way you don't want it, right? But what are we saying? How do we respond? The test of utterance often comes when we see silence as a sign. And I'm going to explain this. Too many people look at the silence as a negative. Now, I want to say his silence came as a, as a result of disobedience. So in that sense, you're right to think that it was negative. But I want to flip this around for a second this morning, and I want you to see something maybe you've never seen before. Yes, Lord? Is that you? Yes. You want to make sure that I share that thought? Okay, I will do that. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. That's good. I'm never distracted by phones, ever. All right, okay. I have five children. I'm used to noise. It's awesome. But I believe that God, in His infinite grace and mercy and wisdom, actually did something gracious for Zacharias to help him believe. God gave him a very specific sign. This sign will remain until the day that your son comes. And the moment you can open your mouth, you'll know the blessings there. We see this as a negative thing. But I think it was God's way of saying, every time you try to utter something, it's a reminder that I've got the answer and it's coming. I believe that there's some wisdom around this, and I believe that God literally silenced him as to not speak doubt and unbelief over his situation. I think sometimes God does that. I honestly believe that God sometimes removes people from our lives because the only thing they're going to do is speak doubt and unbelief over your circumstance and situation. I know that that's true because when Jesus healed some people, there was times even in Mark, three times in Mark, where it literally says, and they removed the unbelieving or crying or wailing people out of the room and then just Jesus or just Jesus, Peter, and John went in and prayed and they were healed. It's the same reason why Jesus said, I could do mighty, no mighty thing in my own hometown because of a lack of unbelief or lack of belief. So we know that there's something connected to this. But can I say something to you this morning? God's tests of trust often comes in silence. But Lord, why can't you just have Pastor Gary Hayes prophesy my next 40 years of my life? 
over me on January the 6th, Lord. I'll make sure I'm here. I'll even make sure I come to pre-service prayer, Lord. Please. And he goes. And then Pastor Gary comes and he prophesies over every single person in the room but you. And you're like, how dare he do that thing? He is such a not, he's not a prophet of God. He's pathetic, he's not prophetic. (laughs) So here's what I want you to know. Silence is not a bad thing. Can you listen to the still small voice of the Lord in a cave with nobody else around? to confirm or deny what is said. Can we do that? It's the test of utterance. God's testing us. We good? Are we going to align ourselves to God's plan? If you understand kind of history and the priestly order, you'll understand that oftentimes the oldest son was always named after their father. So the name that should have been given to this boy was Zacharias. It shouldn't have been John. But John literally means God is gracious. Hmm. The fourth test. I call it the test of the supernatural. Luke chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived they had seen a vision in the temple. So their only perception was that something supernatural must have happened. How many have ever experienced something different, and then the only thought we have is, well, the enemy's got me on the run, or I must be struggling, or something's off. Have you ever thought that maybe it's supernatural? That maybe... God is doing something beyond what you could ever imagine in a way that you could never imagine. Maybe he's doing that. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed and he departed to his own house. You have to understand the role of the high priest and the role of these priestly orders in the temple was to minister unto God. But God flipped the script and ministered unto him. And what do we do with that? How do we hear that? Do we listen to it? Do we respond to it? Do we question it, whether it is God or not? Do we trust the source of where it's coming from? Can I just save you a lot of time that I wasted as a younger person? Can I? When God speaks and it's supernatural and you know it, go with it. Because what often happens is people question the supernatural movings and leanings and and utterances of God, and then we actually start to digress in the process. We start to question the utterance. We start to be less responsible. We start to doubt the truth. What God is saying, be rooted in the truth, be responsible with what you know you need to do, Listen to the right utterances. Trust my supernatural direction. 
That's his heart. Goes on in here, verse 59, it says, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is one among your relatives who is called by this name. Or sorry, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, I don't know about you, um, I think it's miraculous when you can write speaking. I don't know about you, I, I read that and I was like, that's weird. He was writing and speaking at the same time. And obviously we know for that moment there was a supernatural shift and he was able to declare the very plan and purpose of God over his life. His name is John. So they all marveled. Supernatural evidence of the sign that God gave him. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke. And what did he say? He didn't ask a question and he didn't put the focus back on himself. His response was, I'm going to praise God. Because he knew where that supernatural ability came from. What was the fruit of that praise? Verse 65 and verse 66. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all those sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. Verse 66, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. I don't know about you, but here's one thing I've realized with God's pattern and God's plan. The unanswered prayers that take the longest to stand in and the longest to believe in get the most PR. They're the most known don't give up and believe in God. Don't give up and trust in God because he's going to come through. Amen? The last test, and it's the hardest test of all, and I'm going to say it, you're going to just throw things at me as soon as I say it. I can feel it. The test of time. Why do things take forever? I don't know. But do we trust God's timing? Verse 20 says, Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day. These things took place. Can you imagine if you go to God and you pray the same prayer again and he goes, oh, it's coming. The answered prayer will come on the day that it's going to be answered. That is so reassuring. Thank you, Lord. You're so kind and generous. Yeah, okay. On the day that it's supposed to happen, it's going to happen, right? I don't know about you, but it's a great parenting tool. Use it with my kids all the time. Dad, what's it gonna do? When are we gonna do this? Dad, when was I? It's gonna happen when the moment comes when it happens. And they're like, Dad, you are the smartest guy we have ever met. And I said, You know what's so awesome, kids? Is I'm never wrong. Because it always happens. When it happens. And this is what God says to us. And we look at him like, are you kidding me? Is that the best answer you could come up with? And he goes, well, I could have done the first thing. I'd just been silent. Okay, it'll have to do. Why? Because in the process of trust, 
the test of time is the big one. Okay, God, I know what the truth says. I'm going to be responsible, or I'm just going to follow through. I know what you asked me to do. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to be careful whose voices I'm allowing into my life. I'm going to believe that you can supernaturally direct me, but God, this is taking a long time. Mm, me no likey, likey, as we say at our house. That's what we say at our house. Me no likey, likey. Oh. You know? But I want to be honest this morning. We're actually pretty good at the first four most of the time. But it's the fifth one we don't like. God, you know, come on. And he looks down at us and goes, there is no time in heaven. You know, it's just one of those moments. You go, but God, how do I know? Go back to the first one, okay? What did I say? What are you believing? Who am I? Okay. What have I already asked you to do? Okay. Who's saying things that you know is not helping? Yeah, that one. What are the things that you shouldn't be doing right now? Yeah, that one. What are you saying over your situation you should stop saying right now? Ugh. And then the voice comes very clearly in that moment and says, listen to your wife. Amen. And the moment that happens, a supernatural sign happens. Supernatural. And then I go, okay. Your time, Lord. Even if I'm old and I never see it, but my kids do, I'm okay with that. Even if I've stood in faith for years believing for this, Lord, if I never see it, but I get to cheerlead on from heaven, I'm okay with that. And it's at that moment your heart is broken. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. Your heart is now broken before the Lord. And the promise comes because trust is at its strongest. I said, God, why is there five tests? He likes the number five. That's why we have five children. Just saying, anyhow, all right, moving on. Kidding. He likes the number five. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm going to use a five-fold ministry in the last days to bring health and strength and balance to my church. David defeated his biggest enemy with five smooth stones. It's the tests of trust. And I want you to see what your response will be like and what Zacharias' response was when he passed all five tests. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to, 60, or to 79. It says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
first thing as soon as he passed, all five. And prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Notice that not one of these things is talking at all about his own life or about the promise of his son. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath. Elizabeth means God is my oath. Which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Test of responsibility. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from, an, uh, from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace." Five tests of uh, trust. And I've done this in a way that hopefully you guys can remember. You can go to the last slide. Truth, responsibility, utterance, supernatural, and time. It's the five tests Zacharias and Elizabeth faced. It's the five tests that you're going to face in any process of trusting relationship in your life. It will always be there. Some of you are in the midst of one of those tests right now. Some of you are in the midst of two or three or four of them right now. But I have news for you. God is faithful. You can trust Him. He won't let you down. He is the most truthful, the most supernatural, the most peaceful, the most gracious, the most merciful. And He's here available to you to help you through this season. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.